Hi. Earlier, Wayne referenced an article that talked about gyms and how people who were exercising before COVID came along are largely speaking still exercising and how those who weren't exercising before COVID came along, generally speaking, still aren't exercising. He said that COVID is changing the world around us, but raised the question as to whether it is actually leading to genuine change on the inside of us. To be a Christian is to say that God has come to us in Jesus Christ. He has saved us from sin and death and to invite God by his Holy Spirit to come and live within us, to lead us in a life of repentance and change. This week, I want to talk about how we can make sure as Christians that in a world that is changing rapidly around us, that we are genuinely changing. We are living a life of repentance on the inside. This week, we're returning to Matthew's gospel. Just before Christmas, we left it at the end of chapter four and we pick it up now at the beginning of chapter five, which is the start of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters five, six and seven. It's a wonderful place to begin to address the inner life. And we're not the only church that's delving into this part of scripture at this time. You won't be surprised to know. It's teaching that's been highly respected through the ages. Outside of the church, Mahatma Gandhi, a devout Hindu, would read the Sermon on the Mount alongside the Bhagavad Gita. When Monty Python came to satirise the Christian faith, they got to the Sermon on the Mount and other passages and realised that actually the teaching of Jesus was amongst the most profound words ever spoken in human history. Inside the church, the Sermon on the Mount helped Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others form a peaceful resistance against the Nazi regime. I'm really excited that we're going to delve into these words and I'm excited for what they're going to do in shaping and forming us in the weeks and months ahead. So we're going to begin with the Beatitudes and they are the words at the start of Matthew chapter 5 and they're going to come up on the screen as I read them now. Now when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecutely and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What an amazing list. Imagine a world filled with people who are merciful, who are um, passionate about righteousness, 
who are pure. Who wouldn't want to be around people like that? But whilst we want that around us, do we, do you, do I really want another list right now? A list of things to do? Or worse still, a list of things that need to be changed deep inside of us? What I want to say to you today is that this is not about your capacity to change. It's about the orientation of your heart. This is not about your capacity to change. This is about the orientation of your heart. At the very centre of this whole sermon is Jesus' teaching on prayer in which comes what's known to us as the Lord's Prayer, which begins with Jesus's revolutionary and revelationary teaching that we are to address God as Father. Tom Wright, the theologian, says that you can reframe the whole of the Sermon on the Mount with the title, Learning to Call God Father. From that perspective, we understand that all of these behaviours, all of these things that Jesus invites people into doing, emerge from a relationship with God as Father. So it's not from our effort, from our self-improvement. It's from God as Father that we begin to discover how we can live in this new way. When I grasp the central importance of this relationship with God the Father that Jesus is teaching about here, I realise that actually Jesus is the fulfilment of these Beatitudes. I want to encourage you to read the Beatitudes again later on and to look at them and see how they are fulfilled in Jesus and in his life. And the only way for us to live them is for us to join our life into his. And we do that by setting our hearts towards him. So the father is at the centre of the sermon and the father is at the centre of our lives when we seek to live this way. So you can read this passage in two ways. You can read it like the crowd who heard it, who probably thought it was wise words or the disciples who heard it and were orienting their lives towards it or you can read it like those throughout the history of the world who have thought this is good teaching like Mahatma Gandhi and um, Monty Python or those who see this as the way of their saviour like Bonhoeffer. You can read it as a list or a description of life in God, a list to do or a description of life in God. Now, however you read it, externally your behaviours may not look that different from people who approach it in different ways. So you could be as merciful as the person next to you, and the person next to you might be being merciful from a perspective of self-improvement, and you might be being merciful because you know that the only way to be merciful is to live your life in God. Now, the question underneath it then is not how am I behaving, but who is the object of my life? 
Now, let me give an example of how that works itself out. I'm a fan of um, of comedies on TV, and often in uh, in, in comedies you end up with um, two characters, a male and a female, who fall in love with each other. And at some point, you get the moment of beauty where they profess their love to each other, or one of them says it for the first time. And what's really interesting is what's said after that point. So some will say, I love you. And then they will say, because you make me feel good, great, wonderful. Um, Or they'll say, I love you because of who you are. And I am a different person around you. And in the first statement of love, the person saying it is the object of affection because you make me feel it's about them. Ultimately, they're the object of attention. In the second, it is the other who is the object of attention. And the same is true of how we live as Christians. We can live a life where we are very subtly underneath it, living a life for ourselves of self-improvement. There's a veneer of Christianity on the outside, but actually underneath it's about us managing our own improvement. And we are there as the focus and God is there to help us. Or we live our lives as Jesus is inviting us in this teaching with God the Father as the centre of our attention. And when we are with him, everything changes because he is just so amazing. The disciples left everything to follow Jesus. God was becoming the object in their focus. As we walk through the Sermon on the Mount in these coming weeks and months, God is going to change us. This is not a list. It's not a list of self-improvement. It's a description of life in God. So who is the object of your attention? Is it you or is it God? Let's pray.